I think we need to hashtag Me Too in the other areas as well, from hiring, from pay gap, from promotion, and also、um, the general inclusiveness and diversity in the environment、uh, in in the organization. Right now, we're focusing on sexual harassment. I hope that it would be expanded into the other areas. It drives wives wicked. It makes such a golden brown pie. It must be lots of fun to be a mother. I've got something to apologize for. I wore my good suit because it was plain and neat. Afraid of not knowing what is proper. This yellow fluffo is such a short shortening. Hi there, I'm Susan Osman, and this is Being There, Done That, a show about women who are shaping our world, experienced, smart women who are redefining what it means to be a woman in today's workplace. You know I can't work without a good breakfast. All right, class, stop typing, please. All right, class, stop typing, please. Cecilia Fong joins me today. She's one of those women you meet and just want to know more. She's a digital transformation advisor with Microsoft here in New York and has worked as a strategic and technology consultant in the U.S. and abroad for Salesforce, PwC, and Accenture, as well as other Fortune 500 companies. Cecilia, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Susan.、Uh, let, let, let's start by going back a few years.、Um, tell us about growing up in China, because that's where you're originally from. Yeah, I originally grew up in Hong Kong. I stayed there for about 25 years, actually.、Um, it's a very interesting experience because it was a British colony when I was growing up there.、Uh, we were a bit concerned about communism, but in real reality, at the beginning, there was a 50 years. Pact between England and China to make sure that Hong Kong people would remain the same under the same economic system and political system.、Uh, but I think you know that has changed, you know, even without the fifty years expiring. So, how long did you stay in Canada for, and, and what brought you to the U.S.? Um, I was in Canada. I basically had three kids there. No, even forgot how long I was there. I was educated there for both my undergrad and my master degree. Had three kids, and eventually I joined a company called Pitney Bowes,、uh, which had quarter in Connecticut. And after one year, they came up to offer me a really great opportunity in headquarter in Stamford, Connecticut. So that's how I, I went to United States. And how did you transition into the tech world? Because obviously, as we know, is mainly is is very male orientated. How did you actually make your way through to, into that space? It wasn't easy. I would say it's also haphazard because、um, when I thought back, my first degree was in、um, French literature of twentieth century、uh, and psychology. Because at that point of time, I was a foreign student. I wasn't allowed to take any professional degrees, and so having that kind of degree, and I. Uh, I went back to Hong Kong to work in the tourism business, and came back to Canada. And they said that I had no experience, and therefore I had to start from scratch again. I was like a secretary, and I figured it wasn't really what I wanted to do, even with a degree. I'm just starting from scratch again.、Um, so I went back to、um, business school and did a the first international MBA program in Canada. Uh, that really included an MBA plus exchange and internship overseas, and I had a degree in French. So naturally, I went to Paris for internship and、uh, Aix en Provence, which I had a great party time for. Lovely, lovely、program. part of France. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so、uh, and I was very fortunate to be 
um, getting into Accenture at that point is called Anderson Consulting. So that really started my career in a more serious way. Um, during that time, it was in the 80s, in the early 90s, um, there were a lot of systems implementations. So what we did was as consultant, we went into a big corporation and started to look at process analysis to see where we can actually uh, automate processes and make them better uh, for reducing costs, increasing revenue. And then we brought in a lot of um, consultants for systems implementation to automate the processes. So that's how I got into technologies. Well, can you give us some examples where where you've been uh, d deliberately sharp elbowed out the way or kind of discriminated against? I had uh, managed to find a very strategic customer that we have not been able to as an account team. Um, and as soon as um, I had a really great meeting with this customer, um, the executive you know, uh, who worked with me wanted to take over and control my speech, control my contact, which I'm a pretty senior person. And you know, the way that I was treated was totally uncalled for. Now, you've had a, a very successful career, but you've also had four children. You talked about the three children. When did you have your fourth child? That's not when you came to the US? Yeah, so I have three boys in Canada and I have one in California is the daughter. She's the youngest. So we were moving back and forth between US and Canada quite a bit. So you had a lot of juggling to do between your children and work and the life-work balance. Absolutely. And then you had an, an even bigger challenge. You very sadly lost your husband and you had to bring up the children by yourself. How did you cope with that? It's very difficult. It's um, my husband got, he was, um, he got rectal cancer, terminal cancer without even knowing it um, when he was only in the 40, 40, 46. Yeah. So for three years, he was strong. So for three, three years, he struggled and then eventually lost the battle. What kept you going? It's my kids. Yeah. It was very difficult at the beginning because like, what else could I do? You know, it, Everything else is superficial, right? Um, but the kids are there. They're dependent on me. So um, I have to make sure that they are okay. Um, I haven't really gone to church for a long time. I was brought up as a Catholic, and I immediately get them into Bible school, take them to church regularly, because I think it's too difficult for them to understand the randomness of death. Um, I want them to have faith to go through life. Now, you know, they've grown up, you know, they're uh, 18 to 24, so they totally have the freedom to choose their own faith or whether they believe in anything. But at that point of time, it was kind of difficult. Right before my husband passed away and my oldest boy had a concert, he played uh, double bass. So they actually go to Orlando to perform in Disney. And so it's, well, it was all planned for my husband was going to die any weekend. So that weekend, he flew down with his teacher and the whole group um, to play. And, and then he came um, and midway through, and then we thought that my husband's going to go. So I actually had to um, text him and say, you, you better come back. And one of the teachers left together with him. And I just couldn't imagine um, how difficult it was for him to fly back. He was only 13 years old. Gosh. Yeah, yeah he was only 13 years old. And then that passed away a couple, not that weekend, a couple weekends later. And um, and he always a A student. And for that year, he got some Bs and B plus. And one of those days, he just decided to get up, 
and go to school, walk to school, 20 minutes walk every single day. And he just did the best he could. And uh, in junior year, his teachers is physics, chemistry, English, whatever teachers came to me and said that they have nothing else to teach him. They had to send him out to the nearby university and get him university courses. Amazing. So he's kind of like the leader of the troop, right? Because he's so <laughs> leader strong. Of the gang. Yeah. yeah, he's so strong. So my second son, when he applied for college and uh, he had to write college essay, and my second son is more uh, average. He's not like his brother. And he would not let me see his essay. And um, and I pushed and pushed, and at the end, he finally let me see read his essay. And he said, um, I, you know, he, he explained about the situation, how he lost his dad, and how difficult it was. And because of my brother, he's like the leader. I was able to follow his, him as a role model, and my mom was a mess. <laughs> Your mother was a mess. He said, my mother was a mess. <laughs> I see, talking about you. Yeah, talking about me. And I go, wow, <laughs> was I really a mess? I thought I was doing a pretty good job. Hardly surprising, given all that you had to go through. Hardly surprising. Yeah, so I, I guess, no, you, you just learn a lot from them by um, really opening up. Yeah. And find out how they feel about you. They have a nickname for you, don't they? Cecilia Fungi, isn't that right? <laughs> Are you that much fun to be with? Well, um, I would say my second son, he's a joker and he's a, he could be a stand-up comedian. He, he cracks everybody up. He makes uh, nicknames for everybody. Given your experience and just looking back from a different perspective, do you think it's very unfair that when it comes to recruiting people that, you know, what women have to go through as the main, the main primary carer is not fair when, it's, when you have being assessed whether you are good or bad or indifferent for a job? Because you would have thought, given what you've been through, resilience must run through your blood. Given, you know, you've, you've stayed there, you've been stoic, you've, you've anchored the family, you've brought them up by yourself for years. I mean, you would, you, I would give you the job to run any organisation, just given that experience. But do you think people take that into consideration? Well, I think there are some improvements, but mostly um, our recruitment process needs to improve. Um, I, I don't see the questions. Though I, I've gone through many interviews myself. I really don't see the questions that really bring out the quality of that person, such as resilience, such as uh, the ability to solve problems. And most of the time they focus on very superficial skills, like technical skills or whatnot. You can actually pick it up yourself. But the resilience and uh, honesty, integrity, um, ability to juggle many things at the same time, like just like... Multitasking, that women do so well. Yeah, women do so well and they do it well, not only just multitask, but also do it well. I think those skills, I mean, you, you also need to understand what that... Like for myself, you know, all those things that are happening and I'm, I am doing it and I'm performing. Do we have the same ground to compare, you know, from one person to another? So I, I think we need to do a better job in terms of recruitment process. So you continued for them, but who was looking after you? Um, I have to say I haven't quite looked after myself, so I don't really have a lot of hobbies. And um, so only recently when my daughter turned 18, I was able to say, 
hey, probably Cecilia is about time to look at what you want to do you know, and do more of it. So what would that be? What would you like to do more of? I always like to help people. So um, the only problem I am is focusing on what? Like I'm kind of like a kitchen sink. So I like to do a lot of things. So it just changes from time to time, from homeless to um, autism speak to um, helping girls and women in STEM and now like prevention of suicide. So uh, there are quite a few charities that I, you know, I donate and I also donate time. You currently work at Microsoft, which is a, a huge job. And I know you have some very interesting things to say about technology and how it reflects on our, our life. We talk about artificial intelligence, which, you know, back day to Second World War when Alan Turing was the first person basically designed artificial intelligence. You could tell like how long it has been existing. But there was really nothing that propelled it like today or in the last two, two, three years, and you heard about artificial intelligence everywhere. Basically, because it's almost like all these important factors all gather together and converge and allow that to happen. So we have cloud, everything is in a cloud with quantum computing, which is really fast, uh, with the bandwidth of our phone and our phone ability, which is like a little computer in our hand. And so artificial intelligence, machine learning is just blooming and that could actually infuse into any part of our life, be it healthcare and help uh, doctors identify and proactively predict uh, um, certain issues and diseases in the patient or in financial um, services that they can actually enable customer experience better. We can do payment over the phone rather than going to cash, you know, becoming a cashless society. Just like the Amazon Go store, you can go in and walk out without having to uh, check out at the cashier. Um, there are potent, huge potentials to help people, to help the world, to help poverty, hunger, um, um, cure diseases with AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning. As a digital transformation leader, do you think there are going to be some businesses that aren't going to survive? Yeah, there, it, there are a lot of businesses and Fortune 500 companies, and they are they are slow to move. And unfortunately, in this stage and age, there are also many startup companies, they really focusing on customers. And customers are very powerful now. They have, a, they're becoming more demanding. As one, I'm a consumer and I like to get things done very quickly in my own way, with my own device, my own channel. If you can provide me that, I'm going to go to somebody else. And there are companies who could provide that. So there are a lot of incumbents um, in um, the big companies. They are, it's very difficult for them to move the entire workforce and um, replace the legacy technologies and move so fast. So for those companies which are not able to, they probably will not be existing in the next 20, 30 years. Do you think technology is making us impatient as people? I mean, we just click, click, and you know, we can order our food. We can, we can order anything and within seconds. Do you think we're becoming much more impatient with one another because we can just literally order something up by clicking a button? Absolutely, absolutely. We become more impatient. We become more impersonal. 
Um, you look at the kids today, they all look at the phone. You know, even families eating dinner, they look at their own phone individually. They don't go and, like, sometimes I do the same thing too, you know, instead of, like, going to the room and look for my daughter, I just go on the phone and call her or text her, right, in the same house. <laughs> so those are the bad effects. Mom, I'm in the bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So those are the bad effects on us. You know, we become impersonal, you know, Kids growing up like this, they probably lack the social skills. And then we become impatient. Um, we expect, um, have unrealistic expectation when we have all these notification and messaging and you expect that people will respond. And you're constantly bombarded with um, all kinds of messages. So it's the, all the mindfulness and medication come with a reason because we have such technology that really drives us to the wall. I mean, there are information overload. Are you concerned about how technology is going to impact? I'm, I'm, I'm picking your daughter out because she's the younger of the, right. the children, not just because of her gender. Are you concerned as a, a as a female teenager that she's going to be corrupted is maybe too strong a word, but certainly influenced by the technological age that is yet to come? She's already, she already is, and so are many others. And in fact, I came across a statistics today that 83% of millennials have some sort of mental health issues. It's a major issue, right? So I wouldn't say completely because of technology, but technology might have a very big part to play in it. Um, so I'm, I'm concerned about my daughter, the amount of time she spent on the phone, um, for good and for bad, because like, she spe- she goes to the phone and do research, which is very convenient, and she reads a lot. But at the same time, she also spends a lot of time distracting herself and taking herself from reality, you know, dealing with people, dealing with problems, talking to people. So she looks at the phone um, all the time. So I, I think, you know, she's not the only one. There are a lot of teenagers doing that. You you said at the beginning that you, you like learning and that you, you like a challenge. And you certainly had that by bringing up these three uh, four children by yourself. And you've also been very, I think, very humble and very modest about it and saying, well, you know, if you have to do it, you do it. But, you know, I, I think you're probably underestimating that the strength of what you've done in, in actually balancing your life work. When you were, a, a, you've been a single mother for, for many years, as the children have got older, have you had to learn new ways of being a mother? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting you asked me because I had some introspection about that exact question. Um, that really changed me completely. Because when I was um, raising them, I really didn't have a choice but running the family like a military camp. Right. So I kind of like, there were things that I did. I thought back, I go, oh my gosh, I would never have anybody do that to me. But I did that to my kids. Like, for example, putting the report cards up on the wall. I think, oh, wow, that's the bad thing to do. Um, so over time, as they grew older, I could see um, emotions or reactions. And then I go, well, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I need to change. I need to change. So it is a gradual change. And be able to um, apologize in front of my kids of what I have done and start to open up and start to um, to be more relaxed, like, you know, treat them as adults and joke around with them. So I, I think it's improving a lot more than when they were younger. 
Yeah, I think you'll be, I mean, I can imagine you running it like a like a barracks, really. I mean, you've got, I mean, you've got four children, and you've got to get to work, and you've got all the responsibilities. I mean, and no wonder you ran it like that. But as they've got older, maybe they don't need so much restraint or control. Yeah. So and also uh, they they still had a lot of activity. So um, yeah. So I didn't know how I did it, but yes, now they they. They have a great time. Like my son, he's in Seattle. He's actually working for Amazon. And uh, and my two other sons are studying. So, you know, they stay in touch, but they have their own life. And my 18 years old can't wait to go, just like any 18 <laughs> like, years yeah. old. Yeah. Do you think they appreciate what a great job you did I and think, are doing? I think they appreciate it. They, um, they're very protective of me. As they grow older, they become more and more appreciative. You know, obviously, when they were younger, they they felt that you no, know, um, there are a lot of issues in the family. But now they they are appreciated. What's your view of the hashtag Me Too movement, given your your experience? I think it's wonderful. I think it's really, truly wonderful. I think we need to hashtag Me Too in the other areas as well, from hiring, from pay gap, from promotion, and also um, the general inclusiveness and diversity in the environment, uh, in, in the organization. Right now, we're focusing on sexual harassment. I hope that it would be expanded into the other areas. So what does the future hold for you? Because your, your teenager girl's going to be going off to uh, college soon and Cecilia's going to be at home with an empty nest, still with the drive, still with the ambition. You know, what, what do you see ahead of you? It's interesting because my daughter and I are the only ones staying in a big house right now and we share the same confusion. <laughs> <laughs> and I was very frank with her and I, I show my vulnerability in front of her that, you know, I understand it's very confusing for you It's 18 years old. It's very confusing for me as, you no know, almost a few more years, I'm 60 years old. Because like my mother is 97 years old. You know, if I'm lucky enough, I will be like her. So what am I going to do in the next 30 years? Yeah. So um, it's a very good question. I think part of the plan is to learn as much as possible. And I, I enjoy learning new technology, new things, um, getting involved. And I just pick up climbing, rock climbing. So oh, have you? That's interesting. You're not frightened of heights. I was very afraid of heights. And it took me a couple of times to actually let go and just drop with my harness. So what does Cecilia do when she's not needing to learn and not needing to look after other people and not giving back? What does Cecilia do in her really downtime moments? I like reading or just lying there and doing nothing. What are you reading at the moment? Um, I, I usually read a few books at the same time. Um, I was, I'm reading Hit Refresh by the Microsoft um, CEO Satya Nadella, which is very interesting about his background, how he, how he became the CEO of uh, Microsoft. Um, I'm also reading a book um, I mentioned, I think I mentioned to you about Carnegie Mellon. Um, I mean, Dale Carnegie, I'm also reading a book about Lincoln. Um, 
which I would not have picked up, you know, because I during the class I won an award and therefore I got the book. And so, but it's very interesting about Abraham Lincoln and his life. Um, so those are the couple of books that came to my mind. So you can't actually see yourself retiring. You're going to do the, the going to follow in mother's footsteps and keep going to 97, if not beyond. Oh yeah, I'll keep moving until I can't move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cecilia Funk, it's been an absolute pleasure. You've certainly a woman who's been there and done that. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for listening to Being There, Done That with me, Susan Osman. Visit us on btdtshow.com for more interviews with dynamic women. And I'd love to hear from you as well. So please leave us a review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. These are words of respect. How can you tell when you're really in love? And look how flaky it is. The girls weigh each portion of food they select. The Been There, Done That show is brought to you by Dan Hall at Pup Media Consultancy. We can still have a lot of fun, can't we? Your manners are showing. I'm a princess. Mabel loves cooking and does it well. Overweight makes an individual undesirable. Lovely stockings. And you think that's all that matters?